The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand Series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. Welcome to the Rainmaker Multiplier podcast, and I have a special guest today, Philip Halavi. Welcome, Philip. Jason, pleasure, pleasure to see you again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have talked about you, Philip, for years now because of the profound impact that you've made on uh, my practice, as well as the um, multiple other practices that are listening to this podcast because Philip, I first read the book, The Ensemble Practice, and I was very inspired to want my business to look like that. I was having a lot of challenges of kind of silos that were happening internally. It felt like there were businesses within my business that in many cases competed against one one another, the advisors inside of my firm. And so that inspired me. I then also went on to read the the CFP board commissioned you for a study that was done. What year was that, Philip? It feels like it was four or five years ago, but you know, the older you get, the more time flies by. So it must have been, it was pre-COVID, but it must have been four or five years ago. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, 18, 19. And what year did you write the ensemble practice? It was published in 2012. It was mostly written in 2011, uh, but it was published in 2012. Wow. It's timeless. I mean, as you know, I'm sure. Well, it's probably overdue for an update. You know, in the last 10 years, a lot has happened and the industry has changed quite a bit. And and best practices have, you know how we were chit-chatting right before we started recording and I was telling you the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the same is true probably for building an advisory business, sort of the fundamentals, the best practices are still the same, but at the same time, the environment is changing dramatically and it's changing very quickly. Um, So in many ways, all the principles of the book are still very, very applicable, but the environment in which we apply these principles is changing very rapidly. No doubt. And, and, you know, Phil, why don't you expand on that a little bit? So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit through the G2 program, um, our program for developing the next generation that your organization is part of. And you have generously been a mentor to one of our G2s as well. But I would say, you know how I, I box a little bit and I own a small boxing gym in Seattle. And in some ways, if you look at the boxing fights from literally 100 years ago, we have some you know video recordings, blurry recordings of people fighting in the ring. To some degree, boxing is boxing, is hit and don't be hit. The only thing that changes is the shorts and the gloves, but at the end of the day, fundamentally, it's very similar. But also, boxing has changed a lot over the last 100 years. If you look at modern boxers, the way they train, the way they they do nutrition, the way they they practice, the gyms that they practice, and have become very different. And the same is true for advisors, forgive me if I'm belaboring boxing. At the end of the day, it's still a matter. It's still a matter of grow your practice, surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with good clients, and be very systematic on who your clients are and who your colleagues are. Find a good partner if you can, and build an ensemble practice, and you'll find that life is better and life is easier when you have good partners. 
And sort of all of these fundamental, to me, fundamental principles or fundamental truths have been the same in the business for the last 25 years. And I've been involved in this industry for the last 25 years or so. But today, starting a practice from scratch is much more difficult. Today, competition for clients is much more intense than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Today, finding good colleagues is perhaps in some ways easier, in some ways more difficult, but certainly more expensive. And a lot of people have a lot of colleagues and a lot of partners. And some of those partners are somewhat surprising partners. We have witnessed all the consolidation, mergers and acquisitions. Firms are acquired. They merge into larger structures. Then those structures merge into even larger structures. Then they sometimes get sold to other structures. So sometimes the destination is surprising. So the sort of the environment in the industry has become quite complex. No doubt about it. No. Well said. Well said. You know, we actually completed our first acquisition, which just one year ago, just earlier this morning, we recorded a video for all the clients of the firm we acquired. And it was a sizable firm. I mean, we, my firm is about a $5 million revenue firm. We bought a $2 million revenue firm. So yeah, and that was a year ago this month. So we just completed our first year and wow, you know, the whole acquisition and, and, and just folding in employees, clients, technology, you know, just the, the experience was just unbelievable, but successful and, and has really inspired us to want to do more. I will say to you, Philip, there is no way we would have been able to successfully do that if it weren't for the changes and the evolutions that we underwent that you inspired, you know, through the, through the book and, and the CFP study. So Definitely. And that's that's what I really am excited about sharing with the listeners. I will endorse the G2 program. You know, we have my chief marketing officer at C2P, as well as JL Smith, my practice, Rob Lasivita, who's the integrator. We run on US, EOS. You know, he's our COO. He's the integrator. He's the only one that reports technically directly to me, but also untechnically because we're running on EOS and the sure. integrator doesn't report to the visionary, <laughs> but we all know how kind of how that works. Yeah, but but what I wanna what I want to share with you in in some of the things I'd love to talk to you about is the uh, you know just the in in the big picture of the ensemble practice model. And we have built an entire program, again, inspired by kind of this structure of the five rungs. And I, I really love the kind of backstage learning that happens and kind of run rung one and two, regardless of what you, titles you use, right, mm -hmm. within those positions. But in general, you know, that first rung is more entry level. And uh, with little to no experience, anywhere from no experience, kid coming out of college or mm -hmm. a career change to maybe a couple of years experience, doing mainly tactical work is what we are having them do as they're learning the business. And then in that second rung, still backstage, getting licenses, designations, really becoming a financial advisor in the backstage by learning how to do financial planning, financial modeling, tax modeling, uh, all the different softwares that you use, getting all their licenses and designations and preparation to go to the third rung, the front stage rung, the first one in the front stage, 
which is that advisor level. And uh, sitting second chair to a lot of times to a lead advisor or a practicing partner or taking on a smaller client, whether it's a new client or an existing client. And, and after they spend the time there, they earn their way, hopefully, to that lead advisor level where they're, they are the first chair, right? And the two-chair approach for the higher-level clients has been a game-changer as well. I mean, we've just noticed ourselves better servicing the, the higher-level clients, but also our higher closing ratio when we put two advisors in the room showing the commitment to the to the larger and more complex clients and since we've started running you know the program you know with the five rungs and the ensemble practice model uh i've been able to make someone who i brought in at client service associate about 13 years ago two years ago now made his way to practicing partner and bought into the firm which has been really exciting Fantastic. Nothing like having a good partner in business. It, it is certainly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Philip, just like, let's go kind of one at a time, because I'd love to hear any additional insights or experiences or ideas or whatever it might be in, you know, even that rung one, you know, <laughs> is there anything you, you know, I gave a brief overview explanation, anything else that as I explained it, you would like to expand on kind of, I'm thinking just go one rung at a time and we can have a little bit of a conversation of this kind of five rung approach as well as the two chair approach. So, you know, we're talking about career track. So let's, let's very briefly summarize the concept of a career track. Um, a career track is really just a step-by-step -step plan of taking someone who is entering our industry, the financial advisory industry, and the career track takes them to, from the time they enter into the industry, the time they first say, okay, I, I raise my helm and I would like to be a financial advisor, to the time where we say you are fully developed, you are ready to be a fully developed, fully functional, fully productive financial advisor. And step one in this process is really learning all the answers. Essentially, it's all about accumulating technical knowledge. That's the time when you learn the answers to all the questions that the clients may be asking and all the questions, of course, you could be asking yourself. That's the time when you figure out how to create a financial plan and all the components of a financial plan. That's the time when you learn about investments and everything you will end up doing with investments, how to create a portfolio, how to rebalance a portfolio, how to research a portfolio. That's the time to sort of figure out how, how, to, how to understand the answers and how to learn the answers. And really, it's the time to spend with the books, it's the time to spend with the certification and licensing problems, it's the time to spend in class, but it's also the time to spend how those concepts are applied in reality, in practice. So it's time to learn the software, it's time to connect with other technical experts in your practice, and really, it's the time to figure out all the answers that you're likely to need in your career, which will take you to step two. Step one usually are positions such as para planner, financial planning associate sometimes analysts, senior analysts, positions that basically imply technical expertise. Step two now is you've learned all the answers. Now let's communicate those answers to the client. That's the time when you're a service advisor or simply an advisor. That's the time when you're a second chair. And that's the time when you definitely enter into the client meeting. So it's time to learn about relationships. We are in a relationship business. We are not just in the business of finding out the answers to financial planning questions. 
We're in the business of finding the answer, communicating the answer, and convincing the client that that's the right answers so they can take action on this. Unless there is action, unless there's communication, unless there's hand-holding, we're actually not doing our job. Uh, much like the job of a doctor is not just to diagnose the disease, but also to treat the patient, to convince the patient to follow the treatment, to be a, an accountability partner to the patient, to make sure they're taking their medication, to make sure they're doing everything they need to do, and to see it through, to see it all the way until the patient is recovered and perhaps beyond. So the same for us. It's not enough to just know the answers. You have to actually figure out how to convince the client that this is the right answer. And that's when the service advisor stage comes in. That's when you join the client meeting and that's when you work behind a lead advisor, learning how to communicate, learning how to, to be present in the meeting, learning how to hold a hand. That will take you to the third stage, which is really the lead advisor stage. You know the answers, you've seen how to communicate those answers. Now you gotta take the lead. In other words, you gotta convince the client that you're worthy of being their advisor. That you not only know the answers and you can communicate the answers, but you long-term can create a relationship of trust, a relationship where the client feels that their goals are of paramount importance to you and their goals have sufficient probability for success. In other words, you gotta inspire trust. Right. And well, those two things are a little bit challenging in our industry. There is almost a theory that financial planning is just a technical profession, that it's enough to know the answers. And there's certainly some kind of a role for somebody who's a technical expert, but that's a very limited role. Knowing just the answers is a little bit like knowing all the X's and O's of football, but never playing the game. Right. Uh, playing football is a lot more than X's and O's. Uh, just like boxing, you know, there are people hitting you and there are people chasing you. So the X's and O's kind of go out the window very quickly. So it's very important that we understand that financial planning is not just X's and O's and just technical work. It's also communicating to the client how all of this technical work can work to their advantage, how, how the client can succeed using this technical knowledge. And it really requires that step of communicating well with the client and then the next step of inspiring trust so that the clients come to you and stay with you, right. which is the next transition is you've learned the answers, you've learned how to communicate the answers, you've learned how to lead a relationship and inspire trust. And now the fourth stage is about creating a business and actually adding more clients to the farm. I very much believe that part of the career track of a financial advisor is also the ability to attract more clients. I believe that we're not just technical experts, that we're also leaders of client relationships. This is a relationship business, not just a technical business. And then if you want to be successful in this relationship business, you got to be able to create new relationships. I'm not talking about sales. I'm not talking about running around town with a billboard on your chest. I'm not talking about you know radio, radio advertising. I'm talking about creating a reputation for doing your job really, really well so other clients want to work with you. And to be honest, I always struggle to understand how is it possible for an advisor to have great relationships and not be able to add more. Usually when you have great relationships, people talk about you. And when people talk about you, more people come to work with you. So to me, being able to generate more relationships through referrals, unsolicited referrals from your existing clients is fundamental to our profession as well. Just like it's fundamental to boxing that you not only have the technique to defend yourself, but also you hit the other guy every once in a while. So it's the same with the advisory industry. It's the same with any human activity. It's not enough to be a great writer. You also got to get people to buy your book. It's not enough to be a great actor. You got to put people in the stands to witness your greatness. 
So the same is true for advice. It's not enough to be just a great relationship manager. Those great relationships need to translate into also growth. They need to translate into opportunity because your team is going to need that opportunity. And that's sort of the final, the final thought of this very long speech about career tracks. The career track requires you to surround yourself with a team. Um, advice is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. Even boxing is not an individual sport. You always have teammates. You always have coaches. You always have people in your corner. You should never do it alone. It's very dangerous to do it alone. So you got to surround yourself with a good team. And that good team is going to need opportunity. And that opportunity comes from growth. Without growth, we have stagnation. And stagnation never retains great people. And that's the reason why we talk about creating ensemble practices. Nothing wrong with having a solo practice but it's much more difficult to sustain that energy and to retain the people around you when you're all by yourself. That's awesome. No, I love how you just covered that because it it really articulates really well what we kind of teach within these first five rungs, right? Like that step one is really talking about the backstage, whether it's client service associate or paraplanner or the journey. If you're starting from the beginning of going through both, then becoming a service advisor, right? That rung three that is not yet to that level of where you need to be at at rung four as a lead advisor of yeah. really closing business and and having the strong ability to persuade and um, work with the larger clients of the firm. And then at the end of the day, if you even want to have a shot at practicing partner, you have to master business development. And business development is what, you, in my opinion, what you described, Philip. It's it's uh, getting unsolicited referrals as well as solicited referrals, building uh, uh, rapport with centers of influence that are that are steering business your way. The ability to get on stages and deliver and inspire people to take action. Um, the ability to you know persuade at another level, not just for even yourself, but to be able to feed the firm. And so that's really how we designed it to get to that practicing partner level. It's basically a rainmaker and it's a rainmaker, not only for just your own calendar, but you can be a rainmaker and feed other advisors within the firm, which is kind of the essence of the ensemble model. Yeah, I mean, and, and Jason, I purposefully avoid some of the, these terms. Um, some of them are associated with different business models. Some of them are associated with the history of the, the industry. I will leave all, leave all the, the labels outside, but I will say this, you're not a doctor until you have patients. Uh, it's, you're not a, an attorney until you have a client. Uh, until that moment when you have a client, until you have a patient, you're not a professional. You're just a guy with a book and maybe some ideas in your head. You start practicing when you have clients. So clients are fundamental to our practice as advisors. Uh, being able to have clients is fundamental to being a doctor and to having patients is fundamental to being a doctor. So, so we need to find a way to continue adding clients to our practice. Otherwise, we're not practicing. We're just dreaming things up. Now, how you add clients is up to you. And I leave that to each and every advisor in each and every firm and each and every strategy will have different ways of adding clients. Right. But as much is true for me is fundamentally we add clients when clients trust us. They trust us as a firm. They trust us as a person, as a professional. And they come to us and say, I have a problem. Can you help me find a solution? That, that fundamentally, that's how we work. And if you're not able to convince people to come to you because you have the reputation of being able to provide solutions, 
then you're not doing it right. That something's not right. Either you're not doing your job very well, or for some reason, you're not able to communicate to others how well you're doing your job. And perhaps they know they don't value as much what you do as they should. So you kind of have a problem that you have to find a solution for. I, I am, I'm always concerned when I hear that someone is a great advisor, but they have trouble growing the practice. Typically, if you're a great writer, you have people reading your books. If you're a great actor, people come to see your movies. So if you're great at something, sooner or later, your audience should be there. We just got to find a good strategy and a good way of filling up the seats, a good way of putting you in front of more clients. And you should be thinking about that. It's not enough to just know all the answers. You actually have to figure out how to communicate those answers to people, how to lead your clients to a good solution and create that environment of trust. Right. You know what I'm finding, Philip, though? I also find there are advisors that are really good advisors, right? Mm -hmm. They've gotten the licenses, the designations, they're providing good advice, but they're not good at marketing and they're not good at what I was referring to as business development, right? Like proactively building relationships or asking for referrals or COIs, or you know, doing those activity networking, those type of activities that are going to drive more and more business to your uh, firm, other than just unsolicited referrals. Because so living off solely unsolicited referrals, if you're a solo entrepreneur, right, just a, a one person and maybe an assistant, it's going to take a little while, right? You're going to have to have some serious patience, you know, if you're not doing any kind of marketing and if you haven't you know, develop the skill of prospecting, which I would, you know, another way to say business development. I, you know, between knowing the answers and, and marketing yourself, there's another big step. In our industry, statistically, as much as 70% of the, re the leads that we generate as an industry come from unsolicited client referrals. Oh, yeah. So I will actually emphasize unsolicited referrals as the foundation of growth. I, I tend to agree with everything you said, but but notice how strong the, the tailwind is. Like seven to 10 referrals for every 100 clients is, has been sort of a standard proposed first by Julie Littlechild, who's done a lot of research on client relationships. And, and then others kind of picked up that, but that has been my experience as well, is for every 100 clients, you should get seven to 10 referrals. Generally speaking, advisors close the referrals at at least a 50% rate. So you will find a very strong tailwind that's helping you a lot just in unsolicited referrals. And to me, this is such a foundation of business development is you should be receiving a lot of unsolicited referrals from your existing clients. And if you're not, that's the place to begin. The problem I agree with referrals, 100%. My firm, 60%, yeah. right? Yeah. We'll bring in about 150 million of new assets this year at JL Smith. Yeah. 60% of that will come from referrals, right? Unsolicited yeah. referrals. And, and time and again, I see advisors saying, okay, we're not growing fast enough. Let's redo the website. Well, redo the website if you must, but begin with your client relationships. Why is it that you don't see enough support from your existing clients for your growth goals? Begin looking at your client relationships. Why are they not generating enough unsolicited referrals? Now, sometimes there's some demographic factors. Your clients may be the kind of clients that don't mingle much. You may be working with a lot of introverts that don't get out of their house. Or you may be working with some client populations that are not very likely to refer. Um, data would suggest that older clients start referring at lower rates than perhaps clients who are sort of in the middle of their life. Business owners are some of the most active referrers. 
people who are actually employees tend to be a little less active in their referral habits, if you will, than those that are business owners. It appears that actually female clients are much more likely to make referrals than male clients for that matter. And we do some consumer research or some of some of that is coming out of our consumer research. So some populations of clients may be less likely to refer, but referrals are the foundation of your business development. And then any business development you do is reputation building. And by the way, Building your reputation with your existing clients is also marketing. Marketing is not just how you reach out externally. Marketing is also how you reach out internally to your existing clients. Your existing clients should be the first people talking about you in the community. In our boxing gym, most of our actually clients, because we have clients there, the people pay to box at the gym, come to us because somebody said, hey, I know a great boxing gym. You should come with me, work out. We literally do very little marketing, but people bring their friends, people bring you know their family, literally. And that is enough for us to fill up the gym. And, and again, I would probably say the first marketing activity in your firm should be arming your existing clients to refer more effectively and to talk to others about you. Because it's a game of trust. And Jason, if I've just met you for the first time, how do I know if I can trust you? I, I haven't seen your work. I don't know you very well. I mean, you have some reputation, but how can I trust that? So the way we figure out how to trust each other is by looking at other people I, you trust. So if I know, let's say, Kristen, and Kristen knows you, and I trust Kristen, and Kristen know, trusts you, then notice the transitive property of trust. If A equals B and if B equals C, then A and C must be equal, like a mathematical equation. So if I trust her and she trusts you, then you must be trustworthy. That's why referrals are so powerful because essentially one of your clients says, I trust Jason. And by the way, you trust me. So you should go work with Jason. And then that, that's why that recommendation is so strong. Build your reputation around your existing clients and the people that talk to your existing clients. And then of course, do everything else. Redo the website and make sure you have strong content and make sure you have podcasts such as this one. Make sure that you really release your knowledge to the world, if you will, but begin with the, the fundamentals. Otherwise, it's like an inverted pyramid that's very fragile. You're, you're talking a lot to people that don't even know you, and you're ignoring the people that are actually dying to have your attention, i.e. your existing clients. You know, Phil, a couple of things that kind of came to mind. The client experience, right? Like even your gym, right? I'm sure yeah. you think about what the experience people are going to have from the time they enter your gym and if they want to join and who they talk to, what the environment is, what the cleanliness of the gym is, right? What it sounds like, what it looks like, you know, all those different things matter. So curating an unbelievable client experience and, and down to your financial planning process and how simple do you make it? How easy do you make it? You know, when's the last time you had someone go through your financial planning process on your team or even yourself flipping roles and going through with one of your advisors to see what emails they get, what phone calls they get, what the entire experience is like, you know, I think it's just as important as anything. You're absolutely right. And, and by the way, this is kind of an interesting conundrum in the industry. Study after study, I have seen so many people talk about this, from Julie Littlechild, who started this conversation, to Catherine Williams at DFA, who just I saw present in London on this topic. Time and again, when we ask clients, have you made a referral in the last year? Uh, something like 50% of clients say, yes, I have. 
And then when advisors look at their referrals, it looks like only seven to 10 clients out of 100 have made a referral. So where is this distance between all these referrals that were supposedly made and all these referrals that actually came? Why, why are we losing so many referrals? And I think part of the reason why a lot of referrals get lost is imagine sort of a conversation between a couple of people. They are somewhere in a restaurant. Maybe you and I are friends. We're saying, hey, cheers, how are you doing? Well, life is good. You know, my business finally made some money. I'm thinking about some doing something with it. And say, hey, you should talk to my advisor. Jason is awesome. You should talk to him. And, you know, the other person probably says, oh, yeah, sure, I will. Yeah, what was his name? And, and that's probably where the conversation sort of goes somewhere else. Next morning, you know, some wine was had. Next morning, this person may or may not remember your full name, may or may not remember the name of your firm. They may or may not feel the same way about actually giving a financial advisor a call, and that sort of drifts towards the back of their attention, and they forget about it. So for one person, they made a referral because they said your, your name, but for the other person, this really was of very little consequence. It was just a conversation, which is why I think you also kind of maybe have to think about how how to enable your clients to actually make referrals that, that have better probability of success. One of the things that we do in the boxing gym, for example, is to say, hey, look, bring your friend, like bring them with you and we will give them first, first session for free, which is the free part is not that important. But the important part is just bring them over. They don't need any equipment. They don't need to know anything about it. We will walk them through it. When people enter into a boxing gym, they're worried that it's going to be scary. They're going to get hurt. Somebody's going to knock them out and hit them and, you know, send them on the floor. They also don't know, what am I supposed to do? Buy a helmet, buy gloves. What kind of gloves am I buying? What's under the gloves? Who knows? So we just basically say, come over. We'll walk you through it and come over. And by the way, it's friendly and it's not scary. And people are smiling and nobody's going to hit you for quite some time. And then if you really want to go into the boxing ring and start boxing, we'll show you how to do that too. But we'll walk you step by step. It's going to be friendly. It's not going to be scary. And by the way, you don't need to know anything about it. I think financial advisors can do a little bit better of that is to say, hey, if you want to talk to my advisor, all you need to do is just reach out to him. You don't need to know anything about it. They'll take over from there. And by the way, here's the way to go to, to your advisor. The other part is also true. When you receive a name, what's the first thing you do? Well, of course, you Google it. And then what do you find? Time and again, I talked to advisors and actually as much as I was saying, don't start with redoing your website. Well, at some point in time, redo your website because the first thing a prospect is going to do is check out your website. And time and again, I see websites that are neglected, poorly composed or using a language that's very generic, doesn't really say much or kind of uses a lot of jargon that we don't understand. I always tell my clients, when you write the first page of your website, also Google those words and see who else is using them because time and again, I like literally if you Google the first sentence of your website, you may find that there are another 10 advisory firms using the exact same information. And there's a, I have literally seen advisory firms using the same picture on their website. Like, you, know, you know, the happy smiling family on a beach somewhere, three generations kind of holding hands, that kind of thing. Everybody has that picture on the website. So, so take a look at your website. Does it actually differentiate you in some way? Does it make you stand out? Does it speak to that prospective client? That will accelerate that, 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 that pace of referrals quite a bit. You know, a couple of things I wanted to add uh, to piggyback on what you're saying, Phil. One is, you know, of the 60% of the business we do that comes from referrals, I said unsolicited, but I will say that we are very dedicated to doing everything we can to build relationships with our COIs, train them on how to make unsolicited referral introductions. 
we absolutely are always talking and planting seeds, using language, even asking for referrals at annual reviews for existing clients. So I don't know if that totally, you know, it's kind of a gray area whether the whole 60% surely isn't unsolicited, but the bottom line is 60% referrals. If 40% or 50% is unsolicited, maybe that other 10, 20% is due to our proactive educational efforts and outreach and planting seeds and asking questions. I mean, we put our advisors at JL Smith through, you know, Bill Cates program. He's got a great program. Pareto is another one. Just fantastic for, for referrals and teaching advisors how to hold those kind of conversations. The other yeah. thing I wanted to share with you is we do right in line with what you're saying of your boxing gym, right? Make it super easy. They don't have to do any preparation. They don't have to bring statements. They don't have to do anything. So we do small group events with our biggest and best clients. And we allow them or encourage them. And it's small groups. We're talking about eight people. And we're encouraging them to bring friends or family members who they think, you know, might we might want to meet and might want to meet us. And we're doing dinners and golfing and cooking classes, just super non-threatening, fun things that our clients love to do. And then they're inviting friends to come along and do something they already love to do. And so it's a very organic, easygoing way, you know, to make that introduction. And we're always holding educational workshops. We do them live and we do them online virtually. And they're around topics that people need to know about, whether it's financial planning, tax planning, estate planning, social security, to name a few. And, and so we give a, a venue non-threatening for those clients to bring a friend or have somebody come in and experience us, right? Just get a feel for the way we talk, the way we act, you know, the type of advice that we can give and all they got to do is show up, right? You just make it super easy. Yeah. And again, I mean, I use the term unsolicited a lot, um, but unsolicited doesn't mean unintentional. Um, ideally, everything in your practice is intentional. Just like you said, all of these components of your practice that create this environment that builds trust, and then that trust allows others to bring their friends, family into the practice. All of that is intentional. Just when I say unsolicited, I'm trying to avoid that very humiliating moment of me saying, hey, Jason, do you know somebody I should work with? Like, can you send me a client? I'm really looking to grow this practice and I'm really struggling, man. I mean, I wish you would give me like three names of people I could talk to. That's the moment I'm trying to save advisors because honestly, I work mostly with young advisors. They hate it. They absolutely hate it. It is humiliating and it's very ineffective. It's humiliating to clients as well. And it's very ineffective but just like you learn from experience, there are many moments where you create an experience where the client themselves is very eager to actually recommend a few people that they know that probably can be very good clients. You just got to be able, and that's where experience comes in. You got to be able to sense that opportunity. The client is already giving you these names. You don't have to ask for them. But as, as they say, when opportunity knocks on the door, somebody always complains about the noise. So sometimes we just don't recognize referrals that are being handed to us. If a client is mentioning a name three, four times in a conversation, they really want you to do something with that name. As they say in theater, I think Chekhov, the, the Russian playwright, says that even the beginning of the play, there's a gun on the wall. By the end of the play, that gun needs to fire. So 
if a client is repeatedly bringing up a name in conversation, they have something in mind for that name. That that gun has to fire. They have some idea of what you want. They want to do with that name. So so ask about that person. You know what is the relationship? When why are they bringing it up? Or do they think this is a potential client for you? Or is this somebody you should know about for some reason? I kind of keep track of the people that clients are related to or clients bring up in conversations. Those are the potential future referrals. Just keep track of them. Sooner or later, these connections happen. Hundred percent. The Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand Series is brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity, a financial training, coaching, and IP development organization led by financial advisors, coaches, and business leaders committed to taking a holistic approach to advising. To learn more about our organization and upcoming training opportunities for financial professionals, visit ClarityToProsperity.com. At the time of delivery and any subsequent publishing, information was deemed reliable but is subject to change by the time of viewing. The contents of this piece include the opinions and projections of C2P Enterprises, are subject to change, and are for informational purposes only. The information provided in this presentation is not intended to be individual investment, tax, or legal advice.